So hello everybody and welcome to the very first episode of Folk on Falcons. My name's Philip Mundy and I'm accompanied by Ian Joseph and we've known each other for over two decades now after starting out playing rugby at Northern together at junior level. Since then I've played for Pontyland first team and Ian has played for Northern at the senior level as well. We've both been missing rugby and we thought that we should probably get back in the swing of things by starting up a podcast for our return to the Premiership. The show is mainly going to focus on Newcastle Falcons, as well as wider rugby in the North East and internationally. Today's episode is going to revolve around the comings and goings at Kingston Park, our wonderful spangly new kit, Ealing, friendly which happened yesterday, that being 7th of November, as well as a look forward to future matches. And then we'll have a wider chat about rugby and the potential uh, victory for England in the Nations League. What's it actually called, Ian? The Autumn Nations Cup. The Autumn Nations Cup. And then how rugby is going to pan out this season with the trials and tribulations of coronavirus. So we start off with <coughs> comings and goings and our thoughts and new players. Number one, who are we going to talk about? Well, I've started with what was the first signing and actually I guess our marquee signing. and That's Orlando, the Argentinian centre. Um, on the face of it, a good signing. Uh, we've obviously been here before with marquee signings. Off the top of my head, unfortunately, is Mermoz, similar position, similar sort of reputation. Um, excellent ball carrier. It seems to be, I suppose, a bit unfair on Johnny Williams, but a bit more of an upmarket Johnny Williams replacement. Um, obviously, he has very good pedigree. Um, he's done it before, wherever he's played. Um, really excited to see him, well, start playing, really. I don't think he arrives until maybe later this month, so I'm not sure exactly when his debut will be. So, I've got vague memories of watching him in the Rock and World Cup for Argentina, but apart from that, I don't know a huge amount about him. What sort of style of centre is he? And where's he been in the last few years? Um, so he's been playing Super Rugby uh, for Hagua, uh, the Jaguares mainly, obviously for the the Argentinian franchise. Um, again, I mean, when I've mostly seen him, it has been an international duty for Argentina, um, and he's just a very strong ball carrier. He does the basics very well. Um, I don't think he ever lets you down really. Um, he's the sort of I think he's a player we've been missing actually. I so guess he never, since he never lets us down. I'll hold you for that one. <laughs> well, <laughs> eat my words, but you know he's a player who does the basics well. You know, I. I He's someone who, if you're five metres out and it's going along the backs, you know, you want him to have the ball, basically, I would have thought. I think Richards, I remember reading at the time in July, I think, when he when he signed, um, saying exactly that, um, really strong ball carrier. And something I was going to say that we've missed since Williams, someone who can really kind of break that gain line, um, which I think we were lacking even last season championship. There were lots of times where we would get in really good positions and it just sort of didn't quite work. And I think maybe that bit of quality, and I know it's a step up in the premiership, but that adds a really good new bit of quality dimension to the team. Yeah, so, so uh, yeah, looking forward to him. So what I've seen from his brief highlight reels, which I've watched on YouTube, is he's very good at breaking the line and he's also good at getting the ball away in an offload. Exactly, yeah. I think that's what... Uh, you know, we're saying in terms of the basics and maybe does have that little bit of extra quality that we have been lacking in, in that midfield area. And also, I think it's good to have a play like that with the outside backs that we've got in Snotty Snotty and Adam Radwan. If we if we break that game line, get the ball away, then we get in behind the defence. Exactly, because uh, I think, again, since we've been missing Williams, there hasn't been that player to sort of draw the men in, has there? Um, I remember watching some championship games last season where Snotty and Radwan were particularly marked men as much as you can mark either of them. Um, but I think I think it helped Snotty, actually, because a lot of times last season he was very much kind of sort of marked or tackled out the game, really, and didn't really get much of the ball or have much of an impact as perhaps we all expected. So I think someone like Orlando can really kind of break that game line, 
bring the attention to himself, take a few men with him, carry out the offload can you know can really help us and try and get us you know all those desperately needed points. I guess the question's got to be, why is a man the arguably the peak of his career he's in his is he twenty eight, twenty nine now? Yeah, I think he's about twenty nine, is it? Why is he leaving sunny Argentina and coming to the Newcastle Falcons? Well, why do any of these supposedly top players come to us, I suppose, in the end? Um, I don't know. I mean, maybe, obviously, Agent Dino's been working behind the scenes. I don't know. Um, obviously, um, the Jaguares can't play at the moment because of all, you know, the coronavirus restrictions of, of the travelling and whatnot, and the Super Rugby season's been split up amongst all the, the different countries anyway. Um, so he's obviously looking for an opportunity to play elsewhere. The opportunity came up and must have sold it to him. But, I mean, it's that much to sell, really. I mean, lovely place to live. I'm sure sure we'll do well, you know. Uh, yeah, and I, I'm sure we will wish him all the best in the northeast. Absolutely. Right, number two. We're going to go to the second rows. Yeah, we are. So our new Italian international, Fusa, who, of course, made his debut in the first half yesterday. I have to admit, I mean, I, I didn't know much about him. I, I have seen him play for Italy on the odd occasion, but you know, I, wouldn't have t- I wouldn't have taken as much notice. I don't think anyone would have really. Um, too early to tell, even from what little uh, we could have seen of him yesterday. Um I, th- I think it will add something. I think um, the second rows we had last season were fine. I think our pack was a, obviously a good pack for the championship, and I think it's fairly solid enough. But it's always good to have extra bodies there. Maybe the international experience will help, but I think it's too early to tell, really. But on the face of it, I think it's a, a reasonable enough signing. So as a second row, how do you say him? But he's one of, was he one of these brutes, or was he one of the spindly ones that you just lift up in a line-out? Um, after, as I say, I haven't really seen much of him, but I think he's more more of the, uh, the brute category, I think. He's a big lad, but I think he will help at the line-out. Because um, so obviously over the years, that hasn't particularly been a, a strength for us. Um, but as I say, we'll just have to wait and see. I, I don't really know too much about him, but on the face of it, it you know, it's an extra body in there. So he does have that international experience has been around the place. Is he, um, is he genuine? Is he an Italian that's actually an Italian or is he a... In Italian, there's actually something no, else. No, he's actually very much uh, Marco, is an Italian name as you can get, really. Um, he's Italian. He played for Treviso, I think. Um, so he's actually full-blooded Italian. Um, and he's not one of these, you know, sort of South, South African imports or he's got a, you know, a Italian great-grandmother along the line somewhere who moved to Wellington or something like that. I'm not sure if he's been picked for any Italy squads over the past year or so. I mean, he obviously wasn't in the game against England. He wasn't um, in the I don't think, this year. No, he wasn't, no. Um, so I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens. So I, I guess the question then is, have we ended up with a second-rate Italian second row or have we actually got the very good Italian second row who hopefully won't get snapped up for internationals? We'll have to see, won't we? So joining Orlando um, is a new signing from Doncaster. Now, there's been a couple of these signings which uh, from fellow championship clubs which uh, Dino remarked um, in interviews saying that sort of caught his eye when we played against them. Uh, I do remember the latter one. I don't remember this one. And this one is Lukok, um, centre from Doncaster. Uh, presumably, it's just someone to kind of add a bit of depth to the squad. I mean, I don't particularly remember watching him, uh, you know, watching Falcons play Doncaster. You went to Doncaster last year, didn't you? I didn't. I was planning on, but it was one of these away games got chalked off, season finishing early. We had the home game against him, which obviously I didn't go to. But uh, uh, no, I say I've never actually seen him. I just have to take their word for it. But, you know, it, it's a squad player, isn't it? Yeah, so, um, it's so just, just, just all, all the, the, the major new fans we've got out there, a bit of background. The reason that we didn't go to the home games last year is because Ian and I were ha- actually housemates in London 
So we went to a few away games, but we missed out on quite a lot of home games, unfortunately. But this year, Ian is back in the, the lovely northeast, whereas I'm still stuck in the smoke. But between us, we should get reasonably good coverage of games. Providing we're allowed in. Oh, yeah. Providing we're allowed in or allowed out or allowed to do anything. Um, but as I say, I don't know much about him. He's obviously a squad player. We'll, we'll see what happens. Maybe he gets a few appearances in the various cups. Um We've made a few of these signings, haven't we, though, down the years where you sort of look at them from lower league or they're just obvious squad players and you sort of think, well, well, why have we signed you? But you never know. They could turn good, I guess. Well, if if you look at, I don't know, I always hate mentioning football, but um, if you look at Cristiano Ronaldo, Manchester United bought him off the back of his uh, performance in Europe against them. And as we've been in the kind of, I guess, the silver lining of being relegated for a season, as we play against all these people and we can see them firsthand and the players will actually know... Oh, bloody hell, he's not bad. Let's sign him up. He, well, he wants to play professional rugby in the Premiership. And um, I guess we're in that some, there's somewhat advantageous position whereby we can kind of get the scoop on all these good signings that are under the radar. True. I mean, a lot of these players have got to start somewhere, haven't they? You know, a lot of them don't necessarily always start at top Premiership clubs. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll you'll get... I'm sure he get runs out of the cup. He, he played in the second half, which maybe doesn't cover himself in too much glory uh, yesterday. Um, but obviously, with lots of stream issues, uh, no one really... Well, we'll be coming up to that, him. don't you worry. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that, that's Luke Cock. Another one quickly mentioned is uh, one of our old boys has now come back to us, which is Tom Penny, come back to us from Harlequins. Uh, reading this in the summer, seemed a bit homesick by the sound of it. Um, didn't really work for him out in West London. Uh, the opportunity came for him to come up here again to play for Newcastle again and by the sounds of it he kind of snapped up the opportunity he didn't really get much game time at Harlequins I think he kind of got missed out on the big promises they perhaps gave him yeah exactly Um, and I think that's happened with I think that's happened with some of our players who've gone down there or elsewhere hasn't it where it's just um, like um, Cooper Um, yes we sent him off to Exeter, and I guess he counts as winning the Premiership. Um, yeah, he comes uh, out with his medal, for, if you remember him playing for Exeter at all. Yeah, but I think his, his game time must have been in the single figures of minutes. And I, I, when when he went there, I thought, well, we're going to... It sounds a bit arrogant, but I thought, oh, well, we're going to walk the Championship. We don't need him. Let's develop the mm. squad we've got. And then he can play at the highest level and come in from a running start next year in the Premiership. But... I guess it, it didn't really work out for whatever reason. Yeah, well, I mean, of course, that was a loan rather than Penny was a permanent transfer, exactly. wasn't it? The other major loan signing we've got coming back is Wilson, our captain. Yes, of course. I sort of forget that he, I suppose, is a quote-unquote new player. Now, a unpopular opinion, perhaps, from me is, obviously, I'm very glad to see him back. And, of course, he's going to add something. You know, he's our captain. He's a very good player. He gets in England squads. But, God, I hope he plays better than he did a couple of seasons ago because I think... You know, there were many reasons why we did go down, but I, I just felt that his performance was for us rather than England that season were very subpar and actually very nondescript. Uh, and I hope that Reedy can kind of, you know, kind of capture that form so that I, I, catapulted I, I, into a couple of years ago, wasn't it? Well, when we finished fourth. So I, I, I have to disagree with you on that. I think that um, he's not your back row that's going to light things up, and he's very much a workhorse and. He does a lot of unseen work around the breakdown. His tackle count is always up there. It's phenomenal if you actually look at the stats that he has. And I think that for all of the the perceived faults with Eddie Jones is he actually appreciated that. And that is why he started pretty much every game that England played a couple of years. Yeah, I think that for me, that was sort of the frustration is that for England, he was superb. Um, Obviously, remember when he first 
start to play for England, you know, it was everyone sort of, oh, who's this Mark Wilson? He isn't he pretty to come out of nowhere. Uh, but we knew obviously what a quality player he was. But I think that was a frustration for me was that he was playing so well for England. I know England are obviously a far better team. Um, but I felt in that relegation season, don't get wrong, that that is how he plays. You know, he is that workhorse. He does a lot of, you know, work that goes unseen. I don't, and I don't just mean because he's bottom of a rock or whatever. Um, but I think that was a frustration in that I didn't see a lot of that sort of England performance replicated for the Falcons because he was quite obviously very good for England. That may be a different system, obviously playing for a better team, but I just felt that he wasn't there for the Falcons in the way that he perhaps should have been or well, recapturing that form from the previous season. What, what, what do you think his best position is? Because obviously for England, he tended to play number six. Um, it's hard to tell because I think, again, it depends on the personnel you have around you, isn't it? And how the team wants to play. Uh, I think he can, he can do either. Now he's, he's mainly played seven for us, hasn't he? Um, I think that's fine. Him being there for us. Um, I mean, maybe it's just a, um, being a bit misery guts, but I did, I would like to see him kind of recapture that form from uh, the fourth season. Um, but we'll see. I mean, obviously he's going to be a plus and we did miss him last year. I mean, can you imagine what he would have been like in the championship? Um, the, the experience he carries, it's enough to, Enough to teach those around him. We've got Nick Easter as the, the new forwards coach, and then we've got the youngsters like Callum Chick developing. And I think to have someone with that level of international experience and that coaching setup is only going to do wonders for, for those in the squad that are perhaps coming through the ranks. It is. You know, you're right. It is. It is. I think we all, all Falcons fans are very much looking forward to seeing him put on the Falcons shirt again, aren't we? Now, I mean, sticking on to the subject of centres, Burrell. Um, who's joined from us from, a, I suppose, a failed stint in rugby league with Warrington. Yeah, that was uh, strange, that, wasn't it? Yeah, it kind of came out of nowhere. I remember seeing on social media there was a rumour uh, that he was going to join us. And uh, to be honest, a lot of these rumours actually out to be true, especially in rugby. And if we're... Your initial reaction is, oh, that's exciting enough. Um, then you sort of remember, I guess, how old he is. Um, but, I mean, he looks in great shape. I mean, I, I didn't watch him much play for Warrington. Obviously, he didn't work out. But, he's, you know, he seems to be in good condition, good shape. He seems to be eager enough, wants to kind of make a statement again, you know, kind of get his rugby career in general sort of back on track. Um, yeah. I think it's a good signing. It's very strange how he comes up then because he, he basically fell out with Rugby Union as a sport by the sounds of it when Eddie Jones mm. got sick of him then thought stuff it I'll go and try my, try my trade at Rugby League and then he's actually thought actually I prefer Rugby Union because he's come back again yeah, no, I mean, it, um, it was odd because I thought his actual style of playing would suit Rugby League as well he's obviously very physical again, a big ball carriage is what you want in the league um, physically very strong um, but yeah, I think Falcons actually in a way have a knack, don't they, of sort of picking up these sort of forgotten players. Rehabilitation. Yeah, exactly. Sort of ex sort of big name players who, you know, were you know, were the, were the real deal a few years ago and now sort of a bit lost and we sort of, you know, take the opportunity to scoop them up. Sometimes well, they work. Once, sometimes once they again, don't. the experience that he'll be able to share with and yes. him and Orlando and um, Wilson in the squad, they've played at the very highest level for a number of years and the experience they can impart if they're not playing every game is definitely good for the, the development of the other players. Yeah, yeah, I think the major questions over him is, well, fitness for a start. You know, can he keep injury free? Um, and secondly, you know, can he rediscover good rugby union form? Um, I mean, we've had these before, these sort of big name signings have just been sort of flops, haven't they, really? And we, we, I mean, I don't know what sort of the, the monetary risk is on this sort of signing, but, you know, I would expect him 
just kind of hit the ground running. By the sounds of it, he was fairly sort of active and getting himself around against Ealing yesterday. But again, it was very difficult to tell. Um, I think it's a good sign. I don't think there's much to kind of lose out with him. As you say, he has skill, he has the experience, and I'm sure you'll be a positive influence on the players around him in the dressing room, won't he? We can only hope. We can only hope. And then, have we got any more that... Come in, I can't think of top of head. We do. Uh, we got one other major one in a desperately needed area. Uh, Schroeder from South Africa, new scrum half. Um, again, has a lot of experience, is well known to Nick East, who perhaps managed to get that one over the line. Played low in South Africa. Uh, he's played for the Sharks, Stormers, Southern Kings, even Toulon. I think he's had a stint in Japan as well. Uh, another interesting fact about him, he's over six foot, which is interesting for a scrum half. Maybe they're all just big nowadays, well, I, I don't know. I think, I think that um, scrum halves are slowly changing and uh, once again, like all of to get bigger. It used to be that the short half got put at scrum half, but now I think it, um, a lot of players turn into a scrum half that may have been very capable wingers or centres and they get to get re-skills. Do you know if he's always been a scrum half that grew late or has he has he repositioned? I don't know, but as far as I'm aware in his professional career, he's always been a scrum half. But, I mean, you're right, you're starting to see, you know, in all sorts of levels, I mean, certainly top level, international level, scrum halves are carrying the ball more, you know, that they're going for the gaps, they're picking the ball from the base, they're kind of having goes themselves, aren't they, rather than just going from contact to contact and breakdown and breakdown and kind of just passing it out, aren't they? So I think the, um, the, one, that, the one that rings a bell for me was um, Phillips for Wales. He was abnormally yes. large for a scrum half but by god he was a good player um, yes. and we're also tending away back to the, the really short ones I guess at the highest level if you look at De Klerk and, mm. and, and um, Dupont for France the two of those are your traditional stocky scrappy little so-and-sos aren't they yeah, I mean, maybe it's a sort of, bit of an indication of the style of play we're going to do this season, which is just keep it tight and try and bash it up. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's some lot of experience. He's just, he has played for South Africa before. He's got a few caps for them. Um, I think it's a step up from what we have. That's it's, what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we needed a scrum half because it was just in terms of anything raw numbers, wasn't it, in that position? I guess the big question that I want to ask is, is he a box kicker? I really hope not. A sign that Well, the... it seems to be a prerequisite for Monday rugby, doesn't it? Um, uh, you know, you can't be a scrum half, you can't even be a back sometimes if you can kick it away. Um I don't know. I mean, Dino likes a nice box kick as much as anyone, yeah. doesn't he? I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll say maybe he's a different style of player. And they're trying to, optimistically, he says, trying to change his style of player. I don't know. Um, again, he's one of these players who I've heard of, but I've never, I've never really seen. You know, I'd be lying if I said, "Oh, I'm an absolute expert on him." You know, I've may have wittingly watched him on a few, you know, early morning Super Rugby games on Sky or whatever. But yeah, I mean, he's one of these players who obviously he's been around the block, hasn't he? He's got good experience. He's probably a good professional. He's got obviously Nick Easter knows him well. He's coached him. Um, a bit of background on Nikista, of course, we should probably mention that he we actually got him from South Africa, didn't we? He'd we did, yes, sir. exactly. So he came from the Sharks, didn't we? And then one last signing, uh, which is another one of the champ scouted championship players, and I do remember this one actually, is our new hooker Smith from Bedford. Um, now, I was at that Bedford away game last year. Absolutely. Was that the Dreek horrible freezing cold? It one? was, it was freezing, it was, you know, drowning, it was horrible. Um, talk about an absolutely dead lucky scrappy win but um he scored against us i believe and he was actually very very good um obviously i didn't really know who he was but you know you when you watch the play you say oh actually you know he's quite a good player i was quite good um so it doesn't i guess it's kind of a huge surprise that maybe if they do see some exceptional players down there they do kind of pounce at the opportunity but again we, we don't know how 
you know, frequently he's going to really be playing. Maybe yeah, do you feel sort of, with Cooper and uh, McGuigan he'll be very much a squad player? I think so. You know, you will maybe. I, I don't know what his age is, but I mean, I imagine he'd be sort of making runs out of the various cups, won't he? As again, as it's a squad player and to cover for injuries. I, but, I, well, but, I guess what we need to remember is that. As in the modern way, the front rows all change around halfway through. Yes, that's true. If, if McGuigan or Cooper get injured, then we'll need a third hooker in the squad. Yeah, that's true. I mean, and I, I suppose we'll have more games, won't we, because of the various cup competitions. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, there was it was both quality and quantity was needed. And I suppose that they've been trying to address that. Um, one positive comment I do have on Dean Richards is that I think generally his signings are pretty good. Um some work very well, some are fine. Um, you know, I know you get the odd unfortunate one where, you know, uh, Mermoz is the one that... Van der Merwe. Yeah, Van der Merwe. And also Tim Swill's a bit unfortunate. For some reason, he just never really seemed to play, did he? Um, but I think generally, the signings are fine. There are, he does make some good signings. And, and even some of the squad players, you sort of think, well, all right, they're not brilliant, but they do positively add uh, yeah. to the team so I think that that's, that is a positive aspect of Dean Richards obviously he's got lots of contacts and, and uh, I suppose mostly good reputation I think that probably does uh, attract a decent enough calibre of player despite obviously the precarious position we find ourselves in most of the time yeah. um, there's one last sort of bonus mention I'd like to make is there are rumours going around that we may be signing Manu Vunipola on loan, the young Vunipola brother who's fly half the Saracens. Oh yes, um, I've seen him. He's 18 yeah. or 19 years old, isn't he? Yeah, that's right. I mean, he looks very good. Um, the only... I mean, I suppose for a year on loan, I mean, of course you would have him, wouldn't you? It just fills up the squad, if anything, gets a bit of experience. I'm sure he, you know, will be positive for us. But... You know, I think it's just a bit of a stick in plaster, really. I think we do need another fly half because, you know, how many more years is Flood going to go on? And do you really want Toby Flood as your main fly half well, trying to fight for survival of the Premiership? Injury now, and he seems to be um, yeah, full yeah. fitness. He, he took a bit of time to get into it last season at the end, yeah. but hopefully now he's back to where he was a couple of years ago. Yeah, I mean, that, that would be a, a real... That'd be like a new signing for us, wouldn't it? It'd be a real bonus. Um, but I, I think if we did get him on loan, that would you know, it would be a positive thing. But of course, it would be for a season, wouldn't it? Um, so I don't think that's a particularly permanent solution, but it'd be better than nothing, wouldn't it? Indeed, indeed. Um, right, so I guess we've covered the comings. Uh, how about the goings? Obviously, I guess a notable one that um, is young Josh Hodge, um, down to X. Um, a bit of a shame the way we found out about that one, but I guess when all the staff's furloughed, you can't really argue with... Um, hearing through the other so much can you yeah um, now I remember at the time you had a lot of people say uh, social media even just sort of you know face to face said to me um, well you know why didn't we play him more uh, I suppose it's a valid point but I, I mean the way I saw it was I watched him and I'm sure a few others there's a, lot, a bigger way following at Leeds away last season um, he scored that wonderful try which obviously did show his potential and skill but there were times where I felt he was caught out it just physically wasn't there and things didn't quite work for him. And that was against Leeds last season or Yorkshire Carnegie, they still were at the time. And, you know, if you're in a, a do or die battle for promotion, you know, are, are those the sort of, you know, is that the type of player you want to kind of rely on, which is maybe a little unfair, but I, I think maybe that kind of, brought into it a little bit and then Exeter come along obviously see his potential and they kind of they obviously have the, the room I think the space to kind of take risks with players who are like that more because they have less on the line don't they I, I, and also well he's been playing uh, for England um, mm. at 
a high level in the in the junior setup. And yeah. I think it's just one of these ones where, as a young player with a huge amount of talent, and I guess time will tell whether he's one of these young England players that is a bit of a flop in the senior game or whether he actually turns out to be very good. But um, if you've got the option of playing for the best team in Europe, why on earth wouldn't you take it if you're not even starting for your local side? Yeah, I mean, I don't think anyone can blame him whatsoever. I think it was just a little sort of unfortunate, really, sort of how it how it came about, wasn't it? But I don't think anyone can blame the player. I mean, if you want to be a professional rugby player, you know, you want to play for the best teams, you want to win trophies, you want to play for your country, England in this case. And he's obviously going to have a much better chance than that with, with Exeter. All right, maybe a little bit of a gamble for him and the club. If for whatever it doesn't turn out, he doesn't start play regularly for Exeter, then, you know, you'll go to another club in the Premiership. Oh, he could be like your Joel Hodgson's, your Mickey Young's or whatever, where he has a he has a year or two away, he doesn't get much game time, and he comes back and then plays for us for a decade. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, all these players develop differently, don't they? Um, it, some players, off straight off the bat, 18, 19, you think, oh, wow, this, he's a real world beater. He's going to be something special. Some of them, it takes a few years. Some of them, it takes, you know, a change of club, a change of scenery, you know, get that bit of space, new teammates to sort of take that step up, doesn't it? Um, maybe it'll work. Optimistically, he could come back to us at some point, but we don't know. Yeah, obviously, he could be a completely different player then. He could be winning loads of trophies for Exeter, goodness knows whoever he'll be playing by then. Um, but yeah, I think the disappointing element of that was how he left. And it kind of, it's, you know, it's, it's unfortunately a bit of a running theme, isn't there, down uh, well, the Falcons uh, at the moment. We've got Kiba Rigi, for example, is another one who's doing excellent for Wasps. Uh, guess, we just uh, never played him, did we? Yeah, I guess um, it's also worth mentioning that uh, the way he left, it was no one really, I guess, knows what happened apart from those that were in the mix, but it was kind of revealed by accident by Baxter when he mentioned it in passing in an interview. Mm. And a keen viewer thought, hang on a second, that hasn't been announced by the Falcons yet. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I saw it on some sort of rugby rumour news article, actually. Um, and that was, you know, that was days before the club actually announced. So it was a bit of a mess, wasn't it? How it was announced? Yeah, but I think we've all got to remember at the time it wasn't easy for anybody in the club, given that the basically the whole um, back office team had been furloughed. For exactly. And I also, I think, I remember Exeter also announcing it sort of all of a sudden, uh, you know, ages before anything had been confirmed by the Falcons, it's just sort of the rumor came out. I think there was a day or two, and then suddenly Exeter said, "Oh, welcome, you know, welcome Josh Hodge or whatever it was." And we'd heard nothing from uh, from Falcons themselves. But I, of course, the, the way the situation is at the moment, uh, everyone being unfortunately furloughed at the time, it, you know, these things are going to happen, aren't they? I don't think that's anyone's fault. I, I remember mid last season at an away game talking to somebody who mentioned he might be off to Exeter, and I thought, well, I haven't heard that anywhere. And sure enough, he did. So I guess um, conversations mm-hmm. happen that we're we're unaware of, uh, but some people are aware of because it seems like nothing's really a secret in rugby, especially at the Falcons. You always hear before these things actually film efficient. That's true. That, that's that's what I was saying before in terms of when you hear these rumours that you turn out to be true in, in rugby, especially with the Falcons, it seems to be a few people really do have the inside track, don't they? they know everything yeah. that's going on at the club. Um, so at other goings, there's obviously the, the few players that have reached the end of their career. But um, other than that, who have we got? Um, so the only thing on the top of my head is Waldock has joined Gloucester as a defence coach, I believe. Um, obviously, he's been around. He's a good servant of the club for when he was here. Made a few appearances last season, and you know he's obviously decided to take up coaching. But uh, apart from that, I can't think of any other real major outgoings. I have managed to kind of 
I suppose, keep a lot of their, you know, high-profile players. You know, you've got people like Radwan off the top of my head who've signed new contracts. Um, I think there's a couple of others as well. So, I mean, they've managed to keep uh, Blamir Graham, I think. Um, So they've managed to keep a lot of the sort of core good players, haven't they? Yeah, I I guess um, kind of the the thing coming up from the Championship to the Premiership is everybody that would have wanted to jump ship, jump ship the previous year. And then all the ones that have worked their way back into it probably have... Uh, probably a sense of pride in what they've done. They want to prove themselves to be Premiership standard. Exactly. I mean, it's more likely to be the older players that stay, isn't it? I think perhaps maybe because they think at this stage of their career, maybe staying with the Falcons is in some ways as good as it's going to get for them. Uh, or maybe it's just in terms of they like they like the club, they like living up here, you know, they've got families or whatever, and they just sort of settled up here and they think, well, we have a season of the Championship and then we sort of go again in the Premiership, don't we? So, um, yeah, I think that factors into it. Especially if you think of the Falcons, it's right by Newcastle Airport. Um, it's not too hard to get to Central Station, and I guess if you if you're going to be within what you call commuting distance of the training ground or the the, the stadium itself, it, it's not hard to still go around the country whilst enjoying a, a lifestyle of the northeast. Yeah, I mean, especially at the moment, anyway. You know, can't, you know, you're sort of stuck where you are. But I think people, generally, I think when people move here they, they like it here don't they and i think if people look at especially the older players and look at their career and they look at sort of you know maybe personal issues or family issues they think well they're just sort of settled here and just just stay here, which i think is a factor as to why i think it's a it's a very easy place to end up calling home isn't it yes definitely he says when you're living in london but yeah <laughs> it's, it's always going to be home <laughs> mm. right so um that's the the comings and goings now let's move on to our Spangly new kit, what do we think? Uh, I think it's, well, it's black and white, isn't it? So you can't really go wrong with it. Well, that. no, it's black and grey. Well, black and well, sort of grey. Well, should we just give a, a brief overview for those that may not have seen the, the grand unveiling yet? Yeah, so um, obviously it's mainly black, as, as, these, as these things tend to be. Uh, it's got sort of grey, sort of lightish grey sleeves isn't it um and then it has sort of uh it does have if you look closely hoops doesn't it but they're sort of very subtle they're very of slightly subtle. lighter colored hoops yeah it and looks nice it's got the same funny collar as last season's kit mm, Mac- well, it's, it's macron, macron again, isn't it? yeah it's macron so uh it's his standard macron present. template yeah something like that it's a standard macron template you see you know all these other clubs have got the you know their macron shirts um but yeah, it looks nice uh, the away one is supposedly a nod to the gosforth uh, well, our first sort of... It was of, the Rob Andrews season, wasn't it? Rob Andrews season 25 years ago. I mean, you always like to see these sort of nice touches on, you know, especially with change kits, um, but little nods to the past or whatever. They've been doing that with a few green kits, haven't they? I yeah. Suppose, um, over the one, years. One thing I, I, I do think is a bit of a shame is last season's kit had the, the very faint Newcastle Falcons logos all over the mm. shoulders, which I really liked, but this season doesn't seem to have it, unfortunately. But Well, they've got to change, otherwise no one will buy the new shirts, wouldn't Exactly, they? but I think what is worth mentioning on the theme of buying new shirts is, thank goodness, they've said it's going to be released in cotton as well as Yeah, plastic. yeah. And I don't know about you, but I much prefer the cotton ones to the plastic ones. Well, it depends. If I'm sitting at home, uh, generally, I, I don't mind the plastic one. If I'm sitting in a freezing Kingston Park, then I, I have over the years missed a, a nice sort of thick, of the, you know, back in the day, Adidas long sleeve one. Um, but of course, I'll probably be getting all four over the course of the year at some point, no <laughs> doubt. Um, but yeah, for those, for those that are unaware, Ian's wardrobe 
has pretty much every Falcon shirt from the last decade, every international shirt from any country he's ever visited, shirts from any city that he's ever been to. Um, he, he could probably have a walk-in wardrobe entirely of rugby shirts, and somehow they all still fit him. Well, obviously, I keep a nice felt figure. It's not, not, not quite that many, but I do my bit to help develop the sport and, you know, uh, keep Falcons going. But it's always highlight the season, the, the, the new kit release, isn't it? And, uh, I mean, they are nice this season, though, aren't they? Are they um, and it is nice that they have got the cotton ones. It would have been obviously nice that we could have gone to Kingston Park and frozen to death in our nice thick cotton shirts, but yeah. uh, maybe maybe later in the year then. Yeah, and um, we haven't actually described the awake kit, have we? So that one, it's kind of a, a plain white shirt, but then it's got um, bands on it of black mm. and green alternate, or it goes kind of a, an inch and a half to two inches, it looks like black strip, then a green one above it, and so on and so on. Yeah, it's sort of a white top half, isn't it? So, yeah. Know, the chest is white with, you know, your badges on and whatnot. It's got and then, a across the middle of it. Yeah, and then you, further down, when you get to your gut, that's where you've got, um, you know, your black and green hoops or whatever. Yeah, I mean, it looks nice. It's a bit different to what they've had the past few years. So, exactly. you know, if, if anyone's thinking they're worth buying something different, then it, it's worth buying. Unfortunately, it's got the garish Premiership Rugby logo on the arm. Well, it's... I don't know, at least it's better than having the championship one, isn't it? Uh, I've noticed, actually, when they do do that, is they tend to only put that on when they know they're going to be in the premiership. Uh, sometimes you, you notice that everyone is a bit sketchy towards in the season and they start making the shirts, they just don't bother because, obviously, they don't know what league they're going to be in. Um, but when So the last time we actually had the premiership one was just after the season we finished fourth because, obviously, we knew that uh, we were going to be in the premiership. And obviously missed it out for the last season shirts because it was quite obvious we were probably going to get relegated and it's kind of followed that pattern over the years um, but I don't know it's a nice little touch I suppose I mean it's, I don't think it's going to be a deal breaker for anyone if you want your Falcon shirt you buy your Falcon shirt don't you exactly exactly and then um, moving on to that I guess we walked the first time yesterday in the um, <laughs> I say yes yeah. this will probably we'll probably upload it to the internet probably sometime during the week but we're, this is a Sunday afternoon we're both talking to each other now and um, we were two of the mugs that bought the AO Sports the Falcons match for £10 each and uh, we saw some stills with some idiots commentating over the top of it from Ealing but what a disaster that I mean it do we start with the stream or the game? Because both are uh, let, Let's start with the stream. So right, well, those, those that are unaware, um, e- Ealing, to be fair to them, they'd obviously gone and made, made a conscious effort to raise some revenue, which you can't begrudge them for, and they'd gone to a company called AO Sports. What does it stand for, AO? It says somewhere or something. Um, um, it's like I, I saw analysts of, or analysts of something or whatever. Anyway, they're, they're rubbish. Well, um, if you look at their website and what they provide, it, is, it seems to be, um, tends to be streams of non-league football matches. And when we talk in non-league, for some reason, they've got a particularly close affiliation to Penis Stone Amateur Football Club, which I think the name of... How do you pronounce it? Is it Penistone or Penistone? Pen- Penistone, I believe. But it's one of those ones where you see it on the funny place name map of the UK, but they seem to stream all their matches. So um, you, you pay your £10 and then you, you're treated to what is supposed to be a, a stream of the match. And They had the camera set up. They had a couple of guys running around the sidelines, it looks like, and um, a commentary thing and um, a camera on halfway. But unfortunately... It just didn't work. <laughs> yeah, I hope everyone started to draft their refund letters. Um, I sent my email yesterday just saying, um, I, I understand that you've tried your hardest, but unfortunately I paid for a service that wasn't delivered. But actually, they put on the, the AO Sports put on their Twitter sometime over the last 24 hours, 
we're really sorry and everyone should be getting a refund. So I, I guess um, just we don't need to quite harass them as much as we otherwise Yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens with that. But, uh, you know, I think everyone was looking on Facebook and stuff, sort of saying, what's going on? Uh, is yours not working either, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, as you say, I mean, I think the, the highlight of their streaming is normally sort of 20th division, normally football, really, isn't it? Um, and I think they've probably had thousands of people trying to, log on to that didn't they i mean not only just focus fans but you know eating fans as well would have been desperate yeah. to have a watch and they just couldn't cope presumably which is a great shame really because when i when i saw this thing i was like oh that's a bit strange having a pay-per-view non or effectively a non-league rugby friendly and i thought well hey ho let have got ealing who are championship club they're, they're one of the i guess we can call it, say more professional clubs in the championship and they'll have huge overheads trying to support their players and continue at a good level of rugby and They've managed to, to hopefully allowed us to have a friendly and fair play to them. Let's try and give them some money. I don't really mind if I pay an opposing, opposing rookie side at that sort of level for what should be a good service, I hoped. And unfortunately, it just didn't work out, did it? Yeah, I mean, I've got, I've got no problem paying the £10 to watch them. I mean, you know, we've been starved of it for so long. I was not quite willing to pay anything, but I thought that was fine. I had no issue with it. But, it was, I mean, it was, it was disgraceful, wasn't it, really? Um, <laughs> really? Well, for those that weren't aware, so I I, I was uh, I paid my £10, and I'm sure I saw somewhere that there'd be a stream for half an hour before the match started of what was going on. That's right. Like, just the warming up and all that, and I thought, oh, well, you get to see, the, see if they've got any new coaches that we haven't necessarily heard of, or just if they've got any new strategies when they're warming up and then it was just a black screen with a revolving circle in the middle of it saying buffering and then as the players ran on the pitch they eventually I guess they they went to plan B which was someone using their phone as a hotspot or something I presume because um, it was just horrendous <laughs> yeah you know, it was just they, they stopped the second half didn't they they obviously the second half at all yeah. half was just black black green with a buffering circle again but um, in the first half um, they, they have commentary which you could hear, but it, it was just um, sequential stills, maybe one and a half to two seconds between it at good times, five to ten seconds between them at bad times. And unfortunately, you just couldn't follow the game. No, it was just impossible. I mean, I've never pressed refresh more my whole life. Um, but yeah, it was it was it was pretty sickening, wasn't it? I mean, you know, you waste you. The problem is you've obviously watched other teams, you know, over the course of a few months. You watch your Premiership, you watch your, your your Champions Cup, you've watched your internationals, and finally, you know, finally you get to watch the Falcons. Yes, it's only you know preseason friendly, but you finally get to watch the Falcons. So, you know, the day comes, you log in. I'm desperate to watch it, and then it just doesn't work. So. <laughs> Really disappointing all round in that regard. Well, if if the stream itself wasn't disappointing enough, there was the match. Oh dear. Yeah. I mean, so what was the good. what was the final score? Was it 38-10? 17. 17. Oh yeah, we got the try towards the end, didn't we? But um, yeah, that, that the second half it was over twenty unanswered points, wasn't it? Yeah. I, I mean, it, it's good thing I've sort of calmed down a little bit since then. But I could use a lot of words for it. But the one I'd use most is worrying. Um, I think we all wondered how we would respond after the eight months off. You know, I think we hoped that it'd be a case of be absolutely, you know, chomping at the bit, desperate to just go out and smash Ealing. You know, just the limit, and you know, they're professional. They must have been desperate for this. You know, things wouldn't necessarily click, but they, I would have thought they've just the, you know, the, the the mental and physical just sort of release just sort of blown them away. Or it was going to be like we saw, um, and unfortunately, well, obviously, it was the latter, wasn't so it? So, for those that didn't quite follow the match or struggled like the rest of us, um, the scoring it took 
over 20 minutes for the, the deadlock to be broken, at which point we scored a try and it was 7-0. And then Ealing managed to sneak over and get one in the corner, it looked like. And then we just didn't really function. We got we got uh, we kicked a penalty at goal, which I thought was a bit strange and a pre-season friendly, but then we got 10. Was it 10-5 at that point in time? It was 10-5, yeah. And it was the same failings, though. Um we kept gifting points from the kickoff. Yeah. We, we, we do it all the time. You know, we, we, we finally got the try. We, we, I thought we were from what I could see and what I could see on the Twitter feed, the better team just about, but until Ely sort of pulled away in the second which we'll get to, we just gifted them points. We gifted them the try because it came from a penalty that we could see the straight from the kickoff. We gifted them the, the kick at goal twice, I think, for well, the, we scored know, our the penalty. first half, wasn't it? Yeah. We scored our penalty, the, the one I just referred to, to make it 10-5. And then what's the first thing we do? We catch the ball off their kickoff and concede a penalty. And for those of us that have watched the matches over the last few seasons, that's just a recurring theme. And you, you can't do it at the highest level. You get hammered. Uh, and it's just the case... You know, I, I was going to get this a bit later, but you, you see comments from, from people and they say, well, it's, and even Dino saying later, which I'll probably come to, you know, it's just a preseason friendly. I know it's just a preseason friendly, but there's no excuse to, to do the same, you know, ill discipline, the same thing we've been doing over and over again and just gifting teams points from the kickoff. I mean, so, I, I Ealing, agree, didn't because... do, Ealing didn't do it all game. Yeah, you know, well, we're supposed to be much better. A pre-season friendly, if you try things out and they don't work, fair enough. If you try players out in new positions, fair enough. But what worries me is that it was it was the same mistakes and we're giving away silly penalties. And a friendly or a top-level match, you, you don't give away silly penalties. And yeah, and, and then we're talking about uh, as well, you know, oh, well, we made a whole raft of changes. Well, so did Ealing. You know, it should be the case that no matter what team we put out, we should well, be stronger if you, if you than look that healing team. Our, our starting 15, um, it was more, there was a few changes, but if, if that team had been turned out last year in the championship, you wouldn't have battered an eyelid. No. And we made very hard work. But of course, when we were actually at Ealing last year, Ian and I were fortunate enough to have Radwan catching the ball and then before he scored his wonder try right in front of us. But... Mm. I'd say the starting 15 wasn't massively different in quality to that starting 15. There's a few players different, of course, mm. but we made such hard work of it. And then at half time, we made 12 changes and the floodgates opened. Yeah, I mean, it. It was just as as we've said, it's the same mistakes. But going back to the point where you know, say, oh, it's only preseason friendly. Well, we're two weeks ago away from Bath away. Y- you know, we we, we can't. We sh- we've got to use these games as real opportunities to put put teams like Ealing away. We have to lay down some sort of marker, well, a gauntlet for the other teams in the league to show that we're going to be competitive. Yeah, I mean, it, it could be that. All right. If, this coming Friday, we've got the home game. We, you know, we could put a much better performance and kind of put maybe some of those, you know, worries to bed slightly. But you know, it was really, really worrying. What, and what straight away, me? you could tell um, it just wasn't right. What concerned me is that um, I think Ealing had realised in the backs, or um, Willis, our old player, actually played very well. But in the backs, they didn't have a great deal. Um, no. And the, from the bits of the first half that I saw was able to kind of see a few stills off. It looked like up front they were potentially beating us in the forwards battle. They, they were so, they were very tight in control in the forwards. I think that's where they control the game, especially the second half. Um, 
well, we gifted them territory and points. And if you've got better, if you're gifting a, a team that whose forwards are playing better than your forwards, territory and points, you know, you're going to get beaten. There was line out, line out within the 22, wasn't there? Yeah. That, some I penalties mean, were three conceded off. Exactly. So, I mean, if, you know, if, if the forwards of the opposition are better than your forwards and you're gifting them territory, you know what's going to happen. And that's what happened in those 20 minutes. And, you know, yes, we had a bit of a go when the game was already lost, but, you know, what's, what's the point of that? Um, yes, I know, as we've said, it is a pre-season friendly. Things aren't going to work. Things aren't going to click. They've been out of action for eight months, but so have Ealing. You know, this exactly. is a team who we finished, I think, 18 points, you know, when well, the season was the thing is- finished. We, we should be at the peak of our training now. Ealing aren't playing for another two months. Well, exactly, if they're lucky. I mean, for, for them, yes, it is a shot at nothing. It is a chance to kind of try things out, you know, do whatever. But for us, it's deadly serious. Because th- that that game, and considering that you changed half the team at half-time, though a lot of those first starting players only have no more than 80 minutes, probably, by the time you add the game on Friday, to get any yeah. sort of game time and cohesion and structure going before Bath away. You know, it, it's exactly. deadly serious that we put in good performances. And I'll come to what Dino said, because he was saying, well, I'm not bothered about the result in the preseason. And I'm thinking, well, you know, if, if you lose a game, you know, you saw you talking about the performance. Said, "Oh well, you know, I'm more interested about the performance." And I said, "Well, you know, <laughs> what sort of performance was that to kind of, you know, exactly?" And, if, and if, you, if you lose, you know, you've or your performance is obviously not very good by definition, isn't it? So I, I don't see how any positives can be taken from well, that, and it just seems to be a poor I, attitude. I understand what he says when um, he says, "I don't mind if, uh, about the results." But that's only if you lose by maybe a couple of points and you have no put on a player that's had a shocker and couldn't catch or let let people around like a turnstile a couple of times and they ran past him. But yeah. So but we didn't play like that. We lost by over. I, I mean, we 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 shipped out thirty eight points. You know, we yeah. were well beaten. This isn't just kind of like yeah, both teams are just kind of worked themselves out. You know. Yes, we are. We on paper certainly. I'm sure we are actually a much better team. And if it was kind of like you know, a, you know, a 38 40 defeat or something, you think, oh well, all right, it's a bit odd. But you know, you know, and it's it's basically not the humiliation we had yesterday, where you know we were absolutely that second half we were well beaten. I mean, when we came back into it, the game was already well gone, and they probably knew that and they made changes. I'm hoping that. Um... At some point, there'll be highlights for the lowlights of the game release just to see what the tries were like in the second half because it sounded from the, the various things I've read that we were just dominated up front. Mm-hmm. And that is a problem because Ealing, yes, they've got a reasonably good outfit for the Championship, but by no means is their pack a Premiership standard pack. And no, absolutely not. To get dominated up front, it doesn't set us in good stead for the season ahead when we're playing the real big boys. Yeah, I, I mean, as, as we've said, Bath away two weeks time you know we, we can't be and that's the other thing Richard said you know oh well each week we will improve etc etc et I think well really but also even if we do you know we don't want to start improving after four games of the season you know we, yeah. we, we have to be look we know all the other teams have had lots of game time recently which again we're not sure whether that's going to be good for them or bad for them in this but in some aspects it definitely will be I think it, I think it's going to be good for them because yeah. they had the game time now they've had a month or two off exactly so they've had the rest they've had best of both in many ways haven't they now yeah. So this this is why it was so important to really do a job on Ealing, because we had to prove to you know ourselves to the rest of the league that 
you know, we're going to be competitive. You know, how, how there's no point at starting it all, things are starting to click, we're starting to get our routines going, as we're starting to get our moves working. You know, when we're rock bottom in the league, you know, 12 points behind, you know, whether it's going to be, you know, in 11th, it's just too late by then. So it was really important. And I think people need to grasp the bigger picture of this. I know Dino's not going to publicly slate his players for preseason friendly, of course he's not. But I think people need to sort of understand. What's on the line here? Because we, we can't really have another relegation. I mean, yes, relegation may be big fence, mightn't it, towards the end of the season. But as it stands, the bottom team will go down. And we can't be in a position, especially as we have a balance of away games, whether that matter, you know, with no fans or not. But we can't be in a position where, you know, it takes us five or six games to really get going. It's just not going to happen. Well, I think I think the happiest team after yesterday's performance, it's not going to be Ealing, it's going to be Leicester Tigers. Mm. Because... Um, we'll move on to their, their coronavirus situation in a minute, but the last couple of years, they have been the worst team in the, the league, arguably worse than the Falcons when we got relegated. And they, mm. they they only didn't get relegated, in my opinion, because they got that turnover on our or on their own try line when they were playing at Kingston Park and managed to clear the danger. And if we'd have won that game, I think Leicester would have gone down. Uh, we Leicester, were also, Leicester. I remember in the away game that we were also well beaten and they picked up the both try bonus point things like that I mean it was fairly close at one point then they just sort of pulled away in the second well, half and once again kind of, last, yeah. last season Leicester were the worst team in the premiership Saracens if they hadn't had their 105 point production or actually if they wouldn't have had their 70 point production after their initial 30 yeah they would point, have they would have stayed up wouldn't they yes they the Leicester would have got relegated and it is only because of um, the secondary point, or for those that are unaware, less, um, Saracens were not formally relegated by the league. They were initially given a 35-point penalty, and then they were given a 70-point penalty. So in total, they got a 105-point penalty, which theoretically doesn't guarantee relegation, but practically it does. But had they sought their act out after their initial 35-point penalty, they would not have got relegated, and Leicester would have. I mean, it's funny though last season because I think because teams didn't know they were going to get relegated, maybe, you know, for example, Leicester, if Leicester really knew, you know, the lives on the line, they may have picked up more points. I think going into the season, it's got to be the usual contenders for relegation of us, London Irish, Worcester, and obviously Leicester probably be in the mix as well. Um, so, I mean, the, the, there are opportunities to kind of get out of that. That's four teams just off the bat that could easily finish bottom. Um, but that's why it's so important because of, you know, there's a competition there. That's why it's so important that we have that we, you know, we go out the blocks running. You know, straight out there. You know, yeah. we we start to pick up points because we, as I've said, we can't just be cut off after four or five games at the bottom of the league. It's just that that would be probably almost it, wouldn't it? Really, very much so. And um, just while we're just before we move away from the Falcons and talk about a bit of wider rugby stuff, um, do we know whether the friendly on Friday at Kingston Park? It's going to be televised or streamed or whatever you want to call it. Uh, well, there's been no announcement from either club. Um, it's during Friday afternoon, isn't it? Which I don't know if that makes any difference or not. But um, uh, presumably because it's a Falcons home game, they might do something. Uh, I don't know. I wouldn't hold your breath particularly. I would like to uh, think someone's got the wherewithal to put it on if Ealing can manage it. Yeah, I mean, it would be nice. I know if they could get a working link, I wouldn't mind paying the 10 quid or whatever. But um, even if they just had just like, you know, a Facebook live video or something, um, yeah, that's, all you, that's all you need, really. We, well, we were saying yesterday, if you had someone with a phone on the end of a stick over the fence, you could have live streamed that better than the actual coverage. So it's not hard to get something, is it? 
no, uh, it's not. I'm sure. I'm sure if they wanted to, they they could do something. But we'll have to see. Won't we? I'm sure they'll announce something over the yeah. week if they are going to do anything. So if we if we move on to wider rugby, or we'll talk about. Well, there's not a great deal going on, but um, the I guess we should start probably with Ealing again and Saracens and what's going to happen with the Premiership in a year's time. Yeah, well, again, this was a sort of rumour doing the internet, wasn't it? That because the championship season is basically just going to be postponed for a year because a lot of the clubs can't afford the regular well, testing and whatnot, that they're just going to promote Saracens again without playing a game. Well, the, the current the current um, plan, if you want to call it that, or well, basically, championship rugby was postponed um, officially not because Saracens were not coming down in time, but it was because... Um, the, the testing and all the rest of it and then the plan was they're going to start up in January but I think if we all look at this pragmatically no way the, the rugby is going to start again in January so the championship are probably going to abandon their season and there'll be no rugby played therefore everyone should end up with zero points so there's no winner and there's no loser there's nothing that is what they've announced over the the whole of the, the amateur game and it's not even just the amateur game actually it's to the the national uh, national league one isn't it yeah anything below the well confirmed anything below the championship isn't it yes yeah so the north and south and all that just no nothing no rugby which is a huge shame and yeah might it, it'll probably take a long time for a lot of amateur clubs especially to be able to recover from the lost bar revenue and all the rest of it but if we just stick with the championship the idea has been that they're potentially going to um, abolish relegation or not, as we'll discuss that shortly. But we all know that um, the powers that be will ensure that Saracens get back in the Premiership. But the powers that be also realise that Ealing could potentially be better than the Falcons. Um, it's quite unjustifiable to promote Saracens, not let Ealing, who are by far and away the second best team in the Championship, have a shot at it. So... The idea is that Ealing and Saracens are going to get kind of parachuted into the Premiership, so they'll either be 14. No, I mean, my view on this is I think that Saracens have to serve their time, basically. So if the season is written off, then they have to play no games because they are a championship club. They've got to buy the championship rules. It's their own fault for being there. I've seen Saracens fans on, on social media saying, well, this is the, the punishment wasn't meant to be this. It was supposed to be, you know, we'd play season championship and then presumably, you know, they would, they would win the league and get promoted having served their, their time, I guess. But, you know, unfortunately that position they find themselves in and they I, my opinion is that they have to serve that time championship, and if that means not playing for a year, like every other championship club, then, then so be it. Then it, it comes to the point of, is there going to be ring fencing? If there is, um, then there's no... I don't see why there's any reason why you can't have Saracens and, and Ealing in the Premiership. I mean, Saracens are a Premiership club, let's not kid ourselves. Um, you know, they they should be in the Premiership, and I'm sure in any sort of ring fencing, they almost certainly will. You know, they will be. Now, the, the interesting one is with Ealing, because... In normal times, um, Ealing just wouldn't qualify. They don't have the finances. We've been to the ground um, a couple of times. You know, the ground is definitely does not meet the requirements of a premiership ground. Now, if you don't have supporters, then obviously that's irrelevant. And if they have the finances to prove that they can survive in the premiership and it's sustainable, basically they don't do a London Welsh, then I personally can't see on that basis why they can't be included in any 14-league 
ring fence premiership 14 team rather ring fence premiership um the question is when you start to have supporters they would have they would basically have to change the the ground requirements wouldn't they well, well what i'm what i'm wondering is um the, the basically the, the the championship is probably going to get abandoned in january hmm. at, at that point in time the the powers that be will say right saracen's kneeling or just saracen's but suppose for sake of argument saracen's kneeling hmm. you're going to start in the premiership in the autumn at that point, Ealing have got the decision to make of we get on the presumption that the world will be vaguely back to normal by then, there'll be fans allowed at games, they'll be able to make a decision of right, we're going to get our stand up to scratch. Um, the minimum stand requirements, I think it's 10,000 you require, hence Falcons being 10,000, but there's various other things like you need certain facilities, blah, de, blah, de, blah, which will take a huge amount of investment for Ealing. And you've got to look at their actual fan base. And I'm not convinced they'd fill even three or four thousand. I, I mean, I don't think so. They'll obviously get bigger crowds because they'll attract more local interest. Uh, I think their ground is designed um, to be able to kind of wheel in, like you have Saracens, uh, Saracens funnily enough, kind of temporary seating. Um, so, what do you mean? The, 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 not the Aviva Stadium anymore? No, the, not the Alliance Stadium, whatever it's called. Well, the Alliance, the, sorry, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh. North London Megadome, whatever they call it now. But, um, no, it's, it's, it's the old traditional name, isn't it? Copped Hall? Copped Hill? Yeah, Copped Hall Stadium. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the Ealing have obviously fought ahead, and I think they, they do have the capacity to kind of wheel in this temporary seating. Again, I don't know. You know, you remember Falcons had all those years ago before they, they rebuilt the stand. But... Um, I don't know whether they'll do that. I think it's fair if the situation arises to say to Ealing, you know, it, you can start the next season, the Premiership, if you satisfy, you know, A, B and C and give the opportunity to do that. If it if it turns out they can't, then you say, well, no, I'm sorry until you're able to. If they voluntarily withdraw, then because it's an, they're unable to stay in it, fine. But I think it's fair that they give the opportunity because... You can't just ring fence a Premiership and have Ealing in there forever. We all know how it is that... In rugby union, a huge amount of power is concentrated in various parts of London, and the the right people will be friends with the right people. And I think the rules to suit. Um, they could be, but then again, you've got to think about it from a lot of the London club perspective. Do they want a rival London club? You know, I mean, that's another thing to consider. I mean, if you're Harlequins, for example, yes, I know they're south of the river, but do you want another club just a few miles up the road from you? Um, so well, I guess um, London Irish kind of used to be well, around. London Irish, well, London, they moved down to London Irish, that's right, moving into Brentford's ground. They're, you know, they're only a few minutes' drive away. Um, I mean, do they want a new Premiership rival? Well, to take at the end of the day, it's not going to be about relegation anymore if you if you ring fence it. So there's not that issue. But well, I, I guess the question is in terms of revenue isn't it and, and we look at the reason that wasps moved that was because they wanted to build a fan base elsewhere in the country because exactly. essentially london wasn't right for them you know and i don't think it's sustainable for you know for, for both saracen's maybe slightly different because uh you know they're northwest london but to have and maybe Harle all right maybe harlequins because they're you know um they're south of the river that's kind of their bit of london but if i think as you mentioned if you're london irish then you've got to think, well, we don't want this other premiership club taking away fans and revenue and whatnot from us. Um, so, I mean, you could get a situation where they're dead set against them. I mean, they could be both there. I don't know how the system will work, but I wouldn't bank on all the London clubs sort of unanimously wanting healing in there, is my point, really. Yeah, it's a very interesting one, what's going to happen um, with Saracens and their point of view on things, because suppose the championship doesn't happen, then we'll end up in the situation where we have 
world-class players who aren't going to be playing any rugby at all next year unless they all go out on loan. So are we going to get the situation where, upon announcement of the Championship being abandoned, these players suddenly become available for a whole load of um, sides, presumably in the Premiership or Europe, mm. to snap up for the latter half of the season? Well, possibly. Um, the question is who can afford them, I guess. you just got to select a few clubs. I mean, and then you have the RFU rules playing for England, don't you? So, I mean, it's all very well saying, I don't know, uh, Rassing coming on to Farrell saying, don't want to play for us for a season. But then are the RFU going to be stringent in their rules saying, well, you can't, if you play overseas, you can't play for England? I, I suspect they probably won't if, if that eventuality does happen for obvious reasons. But it's interesting to sort of hypothesise in that situation what exactly would happen. Yeah, and also you've got to think as a club, do we actually want the best of the Saracens, like your Vunderpolers and your Farrells? Or do we want the second best of Saracens? Because obviously what happens with rugby is you, you lose all your best players to internationals. Um, and we've got the kind of, the as we referred to earlier, the, the what, what do you call it, in The Autumn National League or whatever it's called? <laughs> the um, Autumn Nations Cup, I believe. And then we've got the Six Nations. So if you have international players, which fortunately the Falcons don't in certain respects, um you end up with the, only having your best players for half the season, but you're the ones paying the salary. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it was going to be interesting, really, you know, if the championship season was to go ahead, would Saracens just loan out all their top stars and just play, I suppose, their quote-unquote second team, which you would have thought would be good enough yeah, anyway to, to take the championship. But, yeah, I mean, we'll have to see what happens, won't we? I mean, we can speculate and hypothesise about these sort of things. But until there's an announcement, and it's actually in many ways quite surprising because you hear all these rumours going around. But we've had this before, sort of the top levels of the sport, where you hear these rumours, but actually they're very slow in coming out, making any sort of decision about anything or any sort of announcement. I mean, we've got the new season in two weeks' time. You know, if you're Saracens, if you must be thinking, well, you know, what the, what are we doing? You know, are we playing or not, or what, what's well, going on? I don't, I don't think there's going to be any change to the 2020-2021 season, but I think it's going to be 2021-2022 when changes could potentially happen, or the ring fencing or mixing things up a bit. Who knows? Yeah, and that can be interesting for for Falcon. So, assuming we are uh, optimistically um, fighting relegation or whatever in the uh, halfway through the season and they announce suddenly well that's it we're ring fencing I mean how does that affect the rest of the season um, does that put us in a better position does that affect really the games towards the end of the season does that affect recruitment I mean there's all sorts of questions which is why I find it strange that quite often they keep delaying these sort of major announcements uh, maybe it's out of their control because of, you know with the coronavirus and situation but it's also just the, the the setup of the premiership the premiership being the limited uh, company that mm. is, the shareholders are the clubs it's all very complicated and this sort of thing can happen very quickly but things only seem to happen quickly when it's running out of time and that sort of situation so if we uh, i guess the, the the final things we're going to cover is the um the plans for or the coronavirus variations to what's going to happen if matches get abandoned. And we've got the, the autumn internationals, which we've just touched upon. So I guess the first one I'd like to talk about is, um, I haven't read the, the rule book inside out, but it seems that um, if you are unable to fulfil a premiership fixture, you forfeit the game uh, by 20 points to nil, which you could say is quite harsh, but you could say, well, Clubs have to take responsibility for ensuring their players are um, in a coronavirus-safe environment and all the rest of it. Interestingly, at the minute, Leicester have a number of players who have uh, coronavirus, and if um, no other players get it, then by the time they've finished isolating, their 14-day period will be over, 
which means that they can play their first game. However, I'm unsure what it means for their training ground and everything in the run-up to the first match of the season. It seemed logical to me that all these uh, Leicester players shouldn't be allowed to mix with each other at the minute, just in case they keep spreading it to each other. Or it might just be Leicester's own self-interest. They don't want to lose any players between now and the start of the season. So they'll tell their players not to not to come into contact with each other in the meantime. The outcome of Leicester not having a, a or not being able to field a team is what twofold. Firstly, I guess once you've gone through the academy and everything, or if, if you end up playing the academy, then you're going to get slaughtered. And it'll potentially be unsafe, and you'll probably lose by a lot of points, not very many points. And the opposition will be basically guaranteed a five-point win with a bonus point, of course. But is it advantageous to do that, or just to be able to not field a team and get a 20-point nil loss? And I think that if you're up against your exiters or your sales or bristols perhaps and you're down towards the bottom of the table it could actually be quite favorable only to lose by 20 points and basically have a rest week or two um but there's all the professionals professional sport versus the the gentleman's game and all that comes into it but it's a very interesting one to have to think about for for clubs and what their outlook is going to be and if you're your extra chiefs and you're basically going to be guaranteed a five-point win against um the, the likes of probably the Falcons from the better team, um, are you going to want to only be limited to a 20-point win and not a bonus point? I don't think you are. I mean, it's interesting. Um, I think that you would have thought they would have rules in place for to kind of look out for things like this in terms of whether clubs just kind of just want to throw the game by saying they've got uh, coronavirus cases. Um, I mean, you could have repercussions where if they're found out, you know, sort of a bit more of like a coronavirus. If they are found out, then you could have obviously substantial... Oh, of, of course, of course. But what I'm, I'm, I'm more meaning, um, at what level do you stop? Because all of these players have got... Oh, I mean, these all, all these teams have got academy players on the books, obviously... Um, last year when we played against or two years ago when we played against Edinburgh we ended up trying to find a prop from someone and we told we couldn't and we had to start playing people out of position it got in my view dangerous and we should have been allowed to make exceptional signings um, I really don't I really don't know what situation will be because it's not safe to have a 17-18 year old prop playing in the Premiership whereas it could be argued it's fair enough to have a 17 or 18 year old winger try and, try and uh, just see how good they could be of course, Matthew Tate played for England as a teenager. I mean, I, I think maybe because it's the start of the season, you may get time as well. All right, well, we'll, we'll postpone the game. Perhaps. No, um, it's said that that's not uh, permitted. It seems. No. The, I only read a, a couple of articles, uh, one on social media and one on the Times Sports on Saturday section, but um, it, it very much seemed that if you can't field a squad, there's not no midweek games later on in the year. Hmm. There's postponement. It's just a 20 points to nil forfeiture. But, I mean, it's interesting in terms of the other teams as well. So, say you, you know, relegation scrap at the bottom, and all right, let's say Falcons to say, oh, we've got too many coronavirus cases, we're going to have to forfeit, we'll take our 20 point loss. I mean, if you're, say, I don't know, let's say Leicester, who you've, you know, you level up points with or whatever, you know, they're, they, they play, say, Exeter the next week after we forfeited the game against them for what I have. I mean, I have to look at the fixture list, but, you know, that sort of situation. Um, Obviously, that, that that also has repercussions for the entire league. Obviously, not just the the clubs that are, you know that immediately are affected by the the fixture being forfeited. So, there's all sorts of questions have to be answered. I mean, again, it'd be interesting. 
as and when that does arise. And I suppose it, it's a reasonable possibility that, that it could, couldn't it, really? Well, the way these players train, if you get one player with coronavirus, you, you, that when you do scrum training, like we've all been there, shoving our heads and God knows where, you're going to get it. And it'll go through It'll go through a squad like Wildfire, as was shown with Leicester this week, when they've lost half a dozen players. Um, and they're the ones that have been confirmed at the minute. And it, it's just, um, I guess... Clubs, you can say, should be very careful, etc. But if if we could control these things at one hundred percent, then we wouldn't be in the situation we are as a country. Uh, right. So onto the final feature of this week's episode, um, I guess, is the autumn internationals. And um, as we, I, I can never name of this, I'm terrible. What's it called? The, the autumn's Na- autumn nations cup. The autumn nations cup. So this is split into two pools of four whereby we've got the conventional Six Nations teams plus um, Georgia. And is it Japan? or have they, have they No, so Japan were invited, but because of various travel restrictions and whatnot, um, they, they, they had to pull out, which is a real shame, because I think we'd have loved to see Japan do one over a few teams. Um, so but yeah, Fiji have been brought in instead? Fiji and Georgia are the added extras. So Fiji and Georgia have been split into each of the, the two halves of the, uh, I guess, the draw, if you want to left Tim. So you've got two uh, groups of four teams, which will each play the other th- uh, three teams in the group, obviously. And then, so we've we've yeah. got the, the we've got the two pools. Um, do you know off the top of your head the teams in each pool? Um, I know that uh, we've got Ireland and Wales in the same one, and then there's also England in that pool, and finally Georgia. So I guess who does that leave in the other one? We've got Italy, Scotland, uh, Italy, Scotland, France, and Fiji. Um, so yeah, they're the two pools, and then yes, then at the end of it we've got the, the the finals weekend. I guess that's called. We've, it's been over four weekends. We've got rounds one, two, and three, which are your conventional uh, matches against the ones in your mini league, and then the finals weekend we've got the winner against the winner, the second v the second, the third v the third, and the fourth v the fourth. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so we've got. Um, uh, everyone playing their equivalent position in the other pool, and then I guess we'll have all the teams at the end of it ranked from one to eight. Whether it means that the best place team in the other side of the draw is necessarily better than your second place team, and therefore should finish second as opposed to third or fourth, who knows? But that's the way it's been decided. Is it done on a world rankings, or is it just? Is it just? I'm not sure. I think it was just a, a draw. I think really wasn't it? Um, yeah, it's uh, it, it, basically it's just a way to plug the gap, isn't it, from this your standard autumn internationals. It's maybe a bit of a money spinner, but it also gets uh, gets the teams playing. So I guess um, what can we summarise out of this autumn nations cup? Is it just um, plugging the gap and make, uh, hopefully the uh, RFU can recoup some funds, or is there any actual reason to it other than just to have some international? Uh, probably oh. just to have some more internationals. I mean, you'd be a bit of a money spinner in terms of the. TV revenue, I guess. I mean, it really helped Georgia and Fiji, won't it, more than anyone. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I guess the fact that maybe it's slightly competitive gives a bit of an added interest to it, but I think, obviously, it's just going to plug those ultimate international gaps, really, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I'm not sure I'm 100% in favour of it, but then I guess it'll actually help Newcastle because um, Falcons have no internationals that I can tell playing in these matches. No, though. I'm sure every season we, we say that, don't we? We say, oh, well, you know, the, the, the plus side of having 
our level of players means that we don't have many internationals. But then, of course, if your team doesn't have many internationals, what does that say about your team? So, I mean, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, I don't mind it. I mean, they're always going to have interna- autumn internationals this time anyway, weren't they? I think it's just because of the situation. They've come up with something else. You know, fair enough. It's a bit of rugby for everyone to enjoy and doesn't really affect us. So, you know, more the merrier, I guess, in that regard. I guess the Six Nations is too far to start passing comment on but I guess we can talk about the past one um I don't know about you but I just thought it was a thorough, thorough anticlimax in the end obviously glad England won it but um if, if I'm honest I, I lost all or lost all interest in it um well it kind of crept up on me a bit um I, I wasn't that bothered about obviously the the dead rubber game with Scotland and Wales but uh um the worry of course with all the shenanigans led by Chris Robshaw and whatnot uh, for the Barbarians game being cancelled. Um, you did wonder how that was going to affect England, you know, certainly initially for their game against Italy. And I, I think it did have an effect, didn't it? I mean, they were oh, really, well, um, really poor in that first half. Yeah, the first half I was, I was worried about bonus point, but then obviously... Well, we, quite, yeah. Well, I mean, well, it, it really had to pile the points up, wasn't it? Because, I mean, it got to a stage at the end where because we didn't really do that good a job, those misconversions at the post, you think, you know, is that going to matter at the end? Because the margins were so tight well, um, with Ireland and France. Yeah. I was thinking that um, Ireland might end up doing a number on France, and then they've only had to win by a few points in the end, but fortunately it didn't, didn't happen that way. Right yeah, and, uh, for that game, sort of my support kept swaying between the two, depending on, you know, obviously how, how the tries went in and whatnot. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean... I think probably apart from that France game, I know it's a long time now, but apart from that France game where the first half we were actually blown away, um, we probably were the best team in the tournament, I think. Um, well, so I think it's probably just about deserved, really. Yeah, I think um, that that um, that France-Island game, what what I liked most about that was seeing some proper French rugby for once. Um, I feel like when I, I used to watch um, old videos at my grandfather's house of the French teams back in the day and the, I was watching VCRs, you'd see them playing this expansive game where they'd score from their own dead ball area and run it and do stupid things. And You don't get that in the professional game these days. But well, I, I thought there were very good um, parallels between the game the week before with the, the Champions Cup final of Exeter and, uh, and Racing. So I suppose in Exeter in many ways kind of play Similarly to in England in a way where they try with a lot of control on the forwards and somebody's trying to strangle teams, you know, a lot of possession. Um, where Racing, with their tries, you know, they, they just sort of scored wonderful tries out of absolutely nowhere. And it's obviously maybe maybe just coincidence, but or it's a sort of a style of French play going through the French clubs and obviously players who play for both France and top 14 French clubs. Um, they, they kind of play this really exciting expanse of rugby where I suppose at the end of the day, you know, if you score more tries in the team, nine times out of 10, you're going to win games. Yeah. Even if you concede a lot and you give away a lot of territory and possession all the time. Yeah, and it, it seems to be France were doing exactly that against Ireland. It's the score more points than the opposition, not concede fewer tactics. And I feel that um, in the last, probably the last 10 years, rugby has, it has become boring in a certain way that it, it's become very much defence focused and, it's all been about stopping the other team scoring and then there's not been so much emphasis on flinging the ball around and scoring a few more points than them. It doesn't matter if you concede a few tries. And yeah, well, that's yeah. what's so exciting, isn't it, about this this, this French team, isn't it? Because you just exactly. don't know when, and dangerous, you just don't know when they're going to score. It could come out of literally anything, which this, adds what, a whole new kind of dimension to it. It's, it's what rugby needs, especially at the minute when um, you're not necessarily going to be able to go into the grounds. It's all about TV 
revenue, I guess, at the higher levels. And you, you can't have your, your, your 10 6 victories for that much for very long if um, you're going to want to keep keep your viewers. You've got to have this sort of exciting rugby, and hopefully, it'll be uh, around for a bit longer after coronavirus is over and done with. Well, I suppose the question is one, will do France continue that style with a home World Cup in a few years' time in mind? And or do other teams kind of take that up? I suspect probably the the first rather than the latter. But it's 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 nice. It's nice to see a, a good team doing something a bit different, isn't it? Rather than just sort of slogging it out every week. Exactly. Exactly. Anyway, I think um, we've been boring the pants off you all for quite a long time now, and I, I think that um, yeah, it's been it's been good that you've listened this far. If anyone actually has has bothered doing so, I'm not sure that we'll have a huge number. Maybe maybe half a dozen if we're lucky. But um, yeah, we'll we'll keep doing these every week throughout the season, having a having a look back at the the week gone and a, week, a look ahead to the week uh, coming. And um, yeah, keeping you posted on everything Falcons and rugby. Um, any parting calls that you like saying? Um, really, it's just. Come on, Falcons, for this Friday. Let's have a better performance and hopefully a, a good snonking win. Exactly. Let's um, let's get back to winning ways at home and hopefully set us in good stead for the season ahead. So that, that's it from us two at Folk on Falcons, and we look forward to you listening to us again. Goodbye. Bye, everyone. <laughs>